reading of the Scriptures, Psalm 26. I invite your uh, reverent attention to the public reading of God's Word and also hearing in faith the reading of Psalm 26. A Psalm of David. Vindicate me, O Lord, for I have walked in my integrity and I have trusted in the Lord without wavering. Prove me, O Lord, and try me. Test my heart and my mind, for thy steadfast love is before my eyes, and I walk in faithfulness to thee. I do not sit with false men, nor do I consort with pretenders. I hate the company of evildoers, and I will not sit with the wicked. I wash my hands in innocence, and go about thy altar, O Lord, singing aloud a song of thanksgiving, and telling of all thy wondrous deeds. O Lord, I love the habitation of thy house and the place where thy glory dwells. Sweep me not away with sinners, nor my life with the bloodthirsty men, men in whose hands are evil devices and whose right hands are full of bribes. But as for me, I walk in my integrity. Redeem me and be gracious to me. My foot stands on level ground. In the great congregation, I will bless the Lord. The word of the Lord. And thanks be to God. So pardon me. Um, some men have made false charges uh, against David. And he's, again, excluded from uh, attending, if you will, uh, church services. Uh, and it's a reminder that temporal disqualification from the divine presence can be very painful. Yeah, I thought about an illustration of this, crude though it may be. Uh, imagine some Saturday evening I gave you a call and reported to you that the elders had met and we would not be serving you the Lord's table for several months until we sorted out some charges that had been brought against you. Well, some people would just blow that off, but others would be quite devastated. I mean, it's to be charged falsely about something is painful in and of itself, but if it would exclude us from the majesty of communing with our Savior at the Lord's table, it would be very, very painful. It should be anyway. Uh, it's also, I think, a greater spiritual reality that sometimes we don't really appreciate something until it's taken from us. I think sometimes we can be all too casual about public worship, but imagine if it were taken from us, then it would be most painful. So David uh, prays that God would vindicate him by declaring and illustrating his innocence in verses 1 to 7. Then he asks that God would permit him to return to the sanctuary, verses 8 to 10, and there in the sanctuary, verses 11 and 12, he uh, vows to worship God properly. So with that as the historic setting, obviously this is a psalm of lament in which David is complaining. And he prays uh, in prayer. And prayer is a form of communing with God. It's also a form of our abject dependence upon God. Because when we're caught in circumstances, we trust and depend upon God when everything else seems to be taken away. Uh, and so, 
removed from the sanctuary. He's not removed from God's presence by prayer. And there he flees. And he prays for God to vindicate him by declaring his innocence so he can return and be restored. In religious law, there is a measure of appeal that's taken in cases of wrongdoing, prescribed order that's to be followed, lest someone be accused falsely and defrauded from attending church or partaking of the table of the Lord. Uh, and so David uh, doesn't have that privilege for whatever reason, so he goes directly to the Lord to vindicate him. And he's quite passionate because of the consequences of what it means to be excluded from public worship. It's very interesting to me uh, what David does not do. that we oftentimes see in the church, I think. Well, if you're going to accuse me falsely, I'm out of here. I'm putting up with that. No, David doesn't do that. Uh, he doesn't chuck the faith. Uh, he doesn't go underground. He doesn't start a new church. No, he asks God to vindicate him. The intense uh, loss of being able to go to public worship uh, increases his desire to so attend and to be recovered and restored. Uh, two reasons that he brings to God for this is the first, I have walked in my integrity. Uh, the word is literally to be whole or complete. In other words, he's saying, Lord, you know that I've met the demands of Scripture and the requirements for forgiveness uh, and proper worship. Notice something that's very important. Uh, I know all of us on occasion, me included, gets overcome by uh, guilt of past wrongs that we have done, that we are guilty of. And we, uh, we feel so guilty, we wonder whether we should go to church. And uh, David is not saying I'm perfect. He's just saying I'm walked in my integrity. Look at Psalm 25 and verse 7. Do not remember the sins of my youth or my transgressions. According to thy loving kindness, remember thou me. For thy goodness sake, O Lord. The second reason he brings to God is that he says that I have trusted you without wavering. Uh, so he's, he's, he's relied upon God. He depends upon God. It's very interesting that the Greek translation of the Old Testament has... I. I've hoped in you. Uh, the, the adverb without wavering is literally that he does not slip. He's constant, in other words. Uh, he is, he's, he's been a faithful, uh, follower of Christ. If you look at, uh, Psalm uh, 37, and uh, in verse 31, we read, And the law of God is in his heart, his steps do not slip. By the way, it's a very important reason that we uh, read the Scriptures and sometimes memorize the Scriptures 
uh, because we know we will face difficult times and we do not want to slip. Psalm 66 and verse 9, He who keeps us in life does not allow our feet to slip. I love that text because many in the American church believe that you can come to faith and fall away and need to be saved all over again and then maybe fall away again and come back to faith. Uh, Here, uh, the psalmist is saying, He does not allow our foot to slip. I love, as you know, the doxology of Jude 24. Now unto Him who is able to keep you from stumbling. The point of our faith is that we are saved by the majesty of the grace of God. And He stays with us to the end. And therefore, we should stay with Him to the end. And He is entirely able to keep us from slipping away. If He was not able, we would slip away. If he did not have the requisite power, we would certainly slip away. So the promise of Jude, not to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. It's a great promise based upon the grace of God. Uh, David then repeats his prayer with three different yet parallel entreaties for God to test him to confirm his innocence. of his present condition in life. uh, Where he finds himself driven away from the sanctuary. Uh, It is an acknowledgement that's very important. God examines the inner man. Uh, I'm not oblivious to the reality that it's very important to take care of our bodies and our health and all those requisite things. Uh, But one of the dangers is that we give too much attention to the outer man. Because God looks at the heart. Uh, Men judge the externals. God judges the heart, inner man. And there, David is convinced that God would acquit him. Similar entreaty, Psalm 139, Search me, O God, and know my heart. It's a good reminder that God searches the heart. It is our reminder, certainly the New Testament church, that we are whole in Christ. And His entire sacrifice alone equips us. It's the basis of our acquittal. It's the basis of our ability to worship God. It's the entire basis of our forgiveness and qualification to worship. It's not something we earn or do. It's what He makes of us by His sovereign grace and our acquittal in Christ alone, I might add. Um, So why should we worship? Well, because of what God has done for us. That's why David says, uh, I need to return because of what God has done for me. We should worship and we must worship. All throughout your Christian life, even here at Grace Bible Church, you will see people slowly begin to disengage. They're entreated otherwise, sometimes contacted by the elders otherwise, but it's just a fact of life. People's interests sometimes wax and wanes. Uh, I understand geographic separation, that's a reality, uh, but David is giving us the reverse of that. I want to return and faithfully 
serve you at public worship. I mentioned a moment ago what David does not do. He does not say, well, I'll just worship God in my home. I mean, the heck with church. If you're going to treat me that way, then I'll be gone. Occasionally uh, speak with people who, by the way, have done just that. People at church are so bad, I'll just worship at home. And I say to them, what about the Lord's table? I serve it to myself. Okay. I mean, that's a box canyon that'll get you in trouble. But nonetheless, people, people do that. David is, again, giving us a reverse. Basis of his confidence, verses three to five, is God's loving kindness. It always comes back to the grace of God. This is a Hebrew word we occasionally, uh, study, chesed. It's God's loyalty to us, God's loyal love. It's a basis of David's confidence. And God's loyalty to us should not be lost upon us. Because God is always loyal to His own. Oftentimes we are disloyal to God, but His loyalty should recover us. It's a provocation, if you will, to remain loyal to Him, regardless of the cost. Uh, And... Uh, divine loyalty is what will restore David to corporate worship. So he says, I've walked in the truth in spite of my accusers, nor do I sit with deceitful men. He says, I don't fellowship with them because they are vain and empty. They profess, but they're not real. Uh, neither do, I love this phrase, neither does he go with pretenders. Be very careful of pretense. Be very careful of pretenders. Because they're literally everywhere. Um, certainly to our young adults, pretenders abound. Be very careful. Uh, it's literally those who conceal their thoughts. Uh, Psalm 28, uh, in verse 3. Do not drag me away with the wicked and with those who work iniquity, who speak peace with their neighbors, while evil is in their heart. David says, verse 5, I hate the assembly of evildoers. Neither does he sit with the wicked. And of course, the visible church, of which you and I are a part, has that measure, because all of us are fallen. We need to recover, we need to confess and recover, continue on faithful. Uh, and oftentimes the visible church is a threat to the invisible church. Because Satan is such a masterful counterfeiter, he tricks people to thinking that they're the real deal when they're not. And only God ultimately can discern the difference. Uh, it's not given to us to know the heart. He knows it, but we must be very careful that sometimes we sit with pretenders. Sometimes pretenders are our friends and we learn otherwise. It's the theology of the Apostle Paul, Romans chapter 9, verse 6. Not all Israel are Israel. Not every Jew was an Abraham. Not every uh, son of Abraham is a true son of Abraham. So there is an invisible church within the visible church. It's the point of uh, our Lord cleansing the temple. By the way, how often did he do that? He did it twice in his life because the temple had become corrupt. 
became a money-making machine. Um, turn with me, if you would, to second to last book of the New Testament. Uh, Jude is having a problem with this, and and uh, he tells us about it in verses 12 and 13. These men are those who are hidden reefs in your love feast. When they feast with you without fear, caring for themselves, clouds without water, carried along by winds, autumn trees without fruit, doubly dead, uprooted, wild waves of the sea casting up their own shame like foam, wandering stars from whom the black darkness has been reserved forever. Man, that's a long litany of description of some people who are in church. It's his, I trust it doesn't uh, describe your life. But it is a reminder that there are hidden reefs sometimes. It's a nautical metaphor. And so God gives us in his scriptures charts to be very careful where the reefs are. So, uh, our reminder that you can't play God false. Uh, he knows. And David therefore is proclaiming that he is a member of the invisible assembly of God's people because his faith is true. As such, he can wash his hands in innocence, uh, symbolic act, expressing his innocence. Psalm 73, verse 13, Surely in vain I have kept my heart pure and washed my hands in innocence. The psalmist in a measure is complaining that the church is uh, filled with some deceitful men and uh, he's become, become envious of their riches. It almost causes him to lose his faith. But God checks him. Proverbs 30.12, there's a kind who is pure in his own eyes, yet is not washed from his filthiness. Always remind people, be very careful about keeping your own scorecard. Every one of us can be a champion at golf or tennis or football if we can keep our own scorecard. But we don't. The Scriptures is that scorecard. That's how we examine our hearts. Just a measure of wisdom that I think David is giving to us. And isn't that exactly what Pilate did, the civil governor? Uh, Religious trialers come to him. He had no authority over religious trials, but the false teachers in the church force him to take the case. And uh, he hears their charges and rejects them, but they are adamant that they must crucify Christ. So what does he do? He washes his own hands. Not before God, <laughs> but he washes his own hands, trying to perhaps assuage his own conscience that he's uh, being manipulated by uh, wicked men in the church. And so Christ is crucified. Uh, for us, it is a beautiful reminder that Christ is the legal and moral basis of our innocence, and we should therefore keep short accounts before him uh, in confession, acknowledging forgiveness and repentance. So. Lastly, David says, I go about the altar either tabernacle or temple, illustrating that godly living qualifies him for worship. And the purpose of that, 
verse 7, that he may proclaim and declare the great works of God with thanksgiving. Our application theology here is that when we go to church, it's an audience of one. He examines the heart. And the church always has to deal with hypocrites, but that's God's business to deal with them. If there are public issues, it goes to the elders to be sure, but God sorts that out. And more importantly, we should go to church for the right reason to worship the one true God. Because communing with God publicly is uh, very precious, and that's exactly what David is telling us. So special, driven away, he wants to come back. And only God can make it happen. Uh, And that his desire to worship publicly, uh, in light of his loss of being driven out, causes David to pray for God to permit him to return, verses 8 to 10. He wants back. Notice again what David does not do. He doesn't say, well, if you're going to treat me that way, I'll show you. I mean, we all make mistakes. Even elders make mistakes. But be very careful about responding in the wrong way. Uh, David knows the church is mixed. It's always been mixed. There's no perfect, pure church. Uh, The endeavor should fall upon our own hearts to examine ourselves. Am I right with you, God? But certainly it's an expression of David's desire to return because communion, public communion, that we oftentimes take so lightly was so special to David. So he returns again to petition God. He says, I love the habitation of your house. He wants to be where God is. Locally, I mean, God is everywhere, to be sure, but He localizes His presence in church. Uh, the word house is that of a refuge. So, Psalm 91.9 If you have made the Lord my refuge, even the Most High, your dwelling place. The Lord is our refuge. Place of safety. Spiritual safety. It's intensified in church. We come properly, having examined our own hearts. Uh, the pre- spiritual presence is intensified. Plus, there's the public reading of Scripture and its exposition. Uh, it says, I love the dwelling place of your glory. In the Old Testament, God localized His presence in the Holy of Holies. Uh, we have that in Christ, the Incarnation. Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The apostles did it literally. We do it spiritually through the scriptures. We behold the glory of the resurrected Christ. Psalm 27 4. One thing I've asked of the Lord that I shall seek that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life to behold the beauty of the Lord and to meditate in His temple. 
if you will, church was important to the psalmist. Perhaps it should be so for us as well. Um, Psalm 42, 1. So deer pants for the water brook, so my soul pants for you. Psalm 84, 10. For a day in thy courts is better than a thousand outside. I would rather stand at the threshold of the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. I mean, these men and women loved where God localized His presence. For us, He does that in the church. His presence is universal, but it is intensified for us where He meets with people in word and in sacrament by His Spirit. And to behold with the eye of faith the glory of God. So this true worshiper, who is David, has a high regard where God meets with his people. It is, I think, an attitude that needs to be recovered uh, for many in the church of Jesus Christ. And then we don't come because we have needs. We come because we desire to behold the glory of God. People go to church for lots of reasons. Our chief preeminent reason is to behold the glory of God in the Scriptures and in the hymns and in the prayers of the saints. To take incredible pleasure in the joy of forgiveness and pleasure in fellowshipping with the divine spiritually. David says, I don't wish to be gathered with sinners and men of bloodshed, uh, and David knows that God will bring all things under judgment. That in the end time, God will separate the church and the true from the false. So, a reminder of this, um, Matthew thirteen forty one. Son of man will send forth his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom. Notice the angels will do it. They will gather out of his kingdom all stumbling blocks and those who commit lawlessness. In other words, those who are in the church who are playing God false. In other words, God will deal with him. I don't lay awake on a Saturday evening wondering about who the hypocrites are. I kind of troubled over my own soul, quite frankly, and just want to come properly in confession and repentance, acknowledging the manifest joy of what it is to meet with God, meet with His people, and to behold His glory in the Scriptures, to recover each and every Sunday the blessings of forgiveness. In light of... Uh, who I am and who I used to be. And David goes on to say his accusers are the guilty one within the visible church. And this is meant to uh, purify us uh, so that we come properly and qualified. 
Because communing with God publicly is so special. What David is teaching us. Certainly it's a beautiful application that proper communion now means communion in eternity. When it will be magnified with the eternal weight of glory. It's interesting to study church history when uh, God's faithful people were driven out of the church because of how they respond. Uh, 17th century, Scottish church that was Presbyterian, uh, James I and pardon me, James VI, and Charles I says, no, you, you guys can't meet there. You've got to meet where we tell you to meet. And they refused. Did they stay at home? No, they didn't stay at home. They went to the forest and the glens and the dales to meet with God. They're driven out of the visible church, so be it. We'll go meet with God somewhere else. And uh, it was... A challenging time for them because if the king's soldiers caught them, they would do them bodily harm. Now think about that today. Well, I can't go to Grace Bible Church because if I'm arrested by the sheriff, he'll throw me in jail for going to Grace Bible Church. Well, they didn't quit going to church. They just went somewhere else to go to church. John Bunyan was a nonconformist at his own conscience. He's thrown in jail. He wanted to return to church. He wanted to be at home with his wife. By the way, he was, was blind. Had children to take care of. But oh to be. Oh to pant for God. Same, same century, Puritans come to America. Before they arrive, they sign a Mayflower Compact. Part of it is written on the wall in our fellowship hall. Why were they in the world would you come to? Can you imagine sailing across the Atlantic in a wooden vessel that did not have all the modern conveniences and navigation charts and on and on. Um, You couldn't ring the steward to bring you poached eggs in bed. They came anyway. Very interesting. When you read the Mayfair Compact, Compact 1620 begins in the name of God. Having undertaken for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith for our better ordering and preservation, furtherance of the ends for aforementioned. That's why they were coming to America, for the glory of God. Church persecuted them, so they come to another place. I mean, the hardships had to have been incredible. Most of them perished, if not all of them. They came for the right reason, to worship God, their own conscience. By the way, 
There was a response to the Mayflower Compact of 1620. What is that? No, 1619. Evil white men came to promote slavery and get rich off of slavery. I mean, the, the, the world is always redefining true history. I'm not saying the Puritans were as pure as the driven snow. That everything they did was right. Um, certainly in our own heritage, men were simply trying to right wrongs. Uh, and they had to do it. They were forced to do it slowly over time. But wanting to do it, they did. And eventually they prevailed and slavery was abolished. But to rewrite history when the Mayflower Compact is published and available, and they did it in the name of God, to worship God according, accordingly as God should be worshipped. We are their sons and daughters. They could do that, then perhaps on a Sunday morning, I don't have a temperature. Going to church. Have to meet with God. Need to meet with God. My soul must worship Him this day for His glory. If the Puritans did that, perhaps we should, in a measure, follow their example. When people get all upset about coming up with a revisionist history, which is what the 1619 Project is, then just remember that Satan is always uh, spinning counterfeits uh, to trick people into denying what is true history. Nobody in the church claims to be perfect. Our history and our tradition is not perfect, but we know why they came here and what they did. And we are their sons. Thus David vows to worship God properly, verses 11 and 12. He says, as for me, I will walk in my integrity, literally to be whole or complete. Uh, if there's something that has made you not complete, get right with God. So you can come in the spirit of David. Then he repairs to grace. That's the entire reason we can come. We repair to grace. Redeem me and be gracious to me. Ultimately, it's the only reason we can come. Christ has acquitted us, made us righteous in the eyes of God legally, Dispatched His Spirit to make us morally righteous. Not perfect. Nowhere are any of the saints perfect. We come in perfectly to be sure, but we come forgiven. And we should come with great joy in light of the fact that we are forgiven. The essence is rescue me from the faults and by Your grace, Keep me. Uh, so vow um, 
not to slip or fall away or drift. Uh, by the way, I would remind you, uh, certainly our young adults, drift is a very, very dangerous condition. It never gets better. It only intensifies over time and gets worse. Be very careful of your heart drifting. Because once allegiance and loyalty begins to drift, you have no idea where you will end up. And the longer that time goes by, the greater the danger. David says, verse 12, my foot stands in a level place. Stands in level ground. Psalm 27, 11, Teach me thy ways, O Lord, and lead me in a level path because of my foes. So David, David had his enemies, and oftentimes they went to church with him. He says, Lord, you, I mean, you gotta protect me. Lead me in a level path because of my foes. And don't get too overworked about them. God will take care of them. And sometimes we don't even know who they are. But God knows. And we trust Him to keep and preserve us. It's a vow not to drift or slip away. And back in the congregation, what will David do? I will bless the Lord. Another reason we come to church. To bless the Lord. And it has a way of intensifying at church because there are many about us and around us that are doing just that. I mean, I get it, you can sing Amazing Grace in your shower or wherever, but there's something really special surrounded by the voices of the congregation. Psalm 68, verse 26. Bless God in the congregation, even the Lord who you are, that is the fountain of Israel. God is life Himself. And communion with Him really is special. Private communion is in your daily devotions, but public communion is special in its very own way. We should treasure it. And we should be very careful of presumption and not take it for granted. Who knows what's occurring in our country? Sometimes I even wonder. It is as if the world is turned upside down. Not the secular world. I get that. It's the religious world. No. The professing Christian world. We must not be turned upside down. The grace of God, we should be right side up and go to a place where the truth is upheld and Christ is honored as the only Redeemer of God's elect and to be numbered among the elect is one of the greatest joys and privilege of all of life. And to embrace it publicly was a passion for David. It should be for us as well. If the deer pants for water, as they do, by the way, so should we. We live in a dry and thirsty land. And God is life itself in water.
The greater reality is this psalm, of course, is our Redeemer. The religious community falsely accused Him and rejected Him. But He committed His defense to God. Based upon the absolute perfections of His innocence. They rejected His innocence and made Him guilty, but He knew He was innocent and proclaimed it. And God the Father vindicated Him. And God will vindicate us when we are faithful to attend His worship services publicly to fellowship with Him and to worship Him after our forefather David and perhaps in the spirit of the Mayflower Compact and our forefather John Bunyan, the Scottish Covenanters, and on and on it goes that God's people treasure public worship. And rightfully they should because of what it means to commune with the living God, with like-minded saints, and not only to ponder the majesty of forgiveness and the joy of fellowship, but to know that others are with us, reminding us of the same, helping us to continue onward, faithful to the end. May David's spirit uh, inhabit us as he vows to return to church to worship God and to treasure his majesty and to glory in his name for all that he means to David and certainly means to us in his loyal love that never runs out, that never vacates us, that will never leave us and will see us to the end.